Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the rock and roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala. And folks, I know too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We, we know this and, you know, it's the journey we're on. And, you know, I've got with me, as always, someone who is uh, indifferent, uh, questioning sometimes of the journey. But uh, I think by episode's end, especially this one, we'll, 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 we'll pull her out. We'll pull her out of it. It's Kristen Stuttered. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Joe. Hi, Joe. Hi, Joe. So, Kristen. Yes. You know what month we are in. I do not even remember the pun. It's like uh, <laughs> I, I we are recording this episode quite close to the one where it was revealed. We're recording it the next day. Just a mm-hmm. little insider info, and I have forgotten completely. It's like horrible. Yeah. It's, so uh, I, I want to bring in our guest before you make your guesses. Uh, I, I, we have talked to our guest before on one of our voter calling episodes, but I'm excited to have her back here for a full episode. She was one time on the nominating committee for the Rock Hall. She was also the senior director of NPR Music, but is now the director of the Corcoran School of the Arts and Design at George Washington University. Welcome back to the show, Lauren Anki. Hi, Lauren. Hey, Joe. Hey, Kristen. It's really, I'm thrilled to be back. I love Personal fave. Absolute excited to have you as a guest. So happy. Just very happy Thank about you. that. Not thrilled about this stupid pun. I'm trying to. It's like I'm scared. To it's, find like out what Musep, it is. it's like Musep. It's like Musep So, and 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 Lauren, I know Lauren. You you listen to the show, so you're familiar with what we do here with the, with the bad puns for each month. And I, you're close, Kristen. Musepember excellence. You're so close. Musepember excellence. I hate it. Man, I hate it. It can't be musical September excellence. So don't that, act like that's less complicated. That's <laughs> way, I can remember it. You no, know, I don't I know honestly, that you would. If ever there was a fitting pun for the month of September 11th, another tragedy is this pun. Uh, I, I sympathize with you guys because there's such a long gap this year because of COVID mm-hmm. between the, the announcements of the inductees and the actual ceremony ceremony you you know you you have a long route but a lot of artists so it's that's true I, thank you for taking up the heavy load <laughs> we're bailed out a little bit by the sheer by number the of amount of people that they're putting in this yeah, year inside Something, categories right? alone so we do have some ground to cover but yeah this is the longest period that the hall has ever gone from announcement to induction maybe say for last year when obviously things were delayed for, for right, COVID right. reasons. Berkulence, mm. Berkulence, and I, like I'm <laughs> Sounds like Septemberculosis. Uh. <laughs> but I'm keeping the I'm keeping the syllables, so you know, Musepemberculence. Oh, that now it makes sense. I love it. Yeah. See, now you're now everybody's on board. <laughs> but we are we are covering the uh, musical excellence category which as we covered last week used to be called the sideman category. And there are three inductees with the musical excellence category. And we will be talking this episode about Billy Preston. But before we get to that, 
Laura, the last time you were on the show, you yeah. know, I feel like we were a little accelerated. So I want to get a little more into your background with the hall. Sure. Yeah, we were we were doing ballot lightning round, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I always been really interested in the project of the Rock Hall. I have to say that when it was announced in the middle 80s, I thought it was really exciting to think about the fact that there could be a place and a project where you would kind of be able to kind of record and learn about the history of this music that had meant and still means so much to me. And I was mm -hmm. very excited when the museum opened and I went in the first year, but I served as vice president of education and programming, you know, the, the events that you have at the museum, interviewing artists or producing shows that we had, all of the educational programs that we had for kids. And later on the library and archives mm -hmm. uh, between 2008 and 2015. And in that period, I was also on the nominating committee and a voter. And I am no longer on the nominating committee, but I still get to vote. So I've been engaged there for a while. Right. And I'm imagining your involvement with the museum is what led to the uh, nominating committee. That's right. When I was named to my job, I got asked to be part of the nominating committee. Is there anyone that you, I guess I'm always curious when people have and are on the nomcom, like, you know, who they were always pulling for, whose name they brought up every year that never got on the ballot or who they're like, yeah, I fought for this person every year and now they're in or, you yeah, know. Yeah, victory is. Yeah, uh, close calls mm -hmm. and utter right. defeats. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first year, I think I nominated... I know I nominated Los Lobos, who are still not in, who I think should be in. Mm -hmm. uh, Joan Jett, who finally made it in. Mm -hmm. And I think Dr. John, who finally made it in. I, mm -hmm. You know, curiously, the I thought there were some really important New Orleans musicians from the very early days of rock and roll that were missing. So those were three important ones. I nominated Carol King as a performer several times so to know that it had been coming up and just not getting on the ballot that is interesting to me because i had no inkling that it had even come up to people that it was even in people's minds interesting yep. was ah. there. i remember one year nominating and i am not a metal head but one year i nominated motorhead because i just thought it's time that we i mean we just need more metal in the, mm -hmm. in yeah. the rock hall but i don't think i was a great advocate because it wasn't my thing mm -hmm. but um i did nominate I, and i think they should be in they should be in iron maiden should be in mm -hmm. gosh I'm, a lot of the people that i was advocating for i felt like got in at some point or another donny hathaway Mm. Oh, Teddy is he Pendergrass. In? No, is Donnie mm. he is has he ever in. been nominated? Mm -mm. No, I don't okay. think he's made he a ballot. Not. No, okay. Uh, Teddy Pendergrass. I think mm -hmm. I think I nominated Teddy Pendergrass the last year I was in the room, and I think I might have mentioned this to you both before, but it's curious the way, and it actually tells us something about Billy Preston's career, the way that rock and soul kind of comes together and then splits again in mm -hmm. where you know major soul stars of the late 60s go right in yeah otis redding is always the example right aretha yeah. franklin or something but you know somebody like luther vandross later mm -hmm. or teddy pendergrass let's say well they're great but they're not what we do so i was really interested 
particularly in women and Black artists, especially as we were kind of moving away. But Los Lobos was the one I could never quite get. I was a big advocate for Heart, and they finally got yeah. in. Yeah. That was a lot of work. I can't believe that it would even, I mean, I'm just, to me, they are so obvious. That's wild that it would even take any work to convince people. But, you know, Lauren, we come from the exact same uh, feeling <laughs> as far as representation in the hall. And it's good to know that there was someone in the room even, you know, making these points too. Hart, did they get in on their first ballot? No, mm-hmm. they did not. I, you know, we've, we've talked to people before on the committee who, who have been on the committee or are on currently. And I'm always curious if you felt like, because it seems as though you present your case and there's not a ton of discussion or reactions. It's you're kind of meant to just observe and then make your call, just determine who wants to be on the ballot. Was that always your recollection? Yeah, that was how it ran when I was there. Now, I don't know how it worked in the early, early days. Maybe there was more back and forth. And now I believe the committee is smaller, so maybe there's more time. But you had three nominees to make and not a lot of time. And there was a lot of people in the room, right? But you could feel it in the room if somebody made a case or brought somebody up that people went, man, right. Like they're not in or something, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But my experience was that people were pretty polite, even if they thought maybe a nominee didn't make sense. So I didn't experience a lot of hassling. I wonder if in the early years that went on. Um, You would, I mean, you'd think of, I mean, I would think so, just given the players involved. (laughs) I still, to this day, Joe, do you know who nominated the Dave Matthews band? Do you have, do you have that information? a guess, but I was okay. not told. I get the sense that it may have come from those kiosks. Okay. That's my guess. Is I'm that like, maybe... what, do they wheel the kiosk in the room and it spits out? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> from it. it's like, and yeah. the computer says the Dave mm-hmm. Matthews band should be on the... Um, That's my that guess. Probably about this. That probably wouldn't work. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm the, just curious. Yeah. I'm always curious about... I wonder if someone made like a really impassioned case and was like, and that's why we should forget about the fact that they dumped the turds in the Chicago (laughs) river and give them their due. I'm curious about, was there just, everyone was like, okay, sure. You know, like polite acceptance or. I I just want to say, I would say that the environment that I experienced was, and given that there were so few women in the room and it's the music business, the environment was pretty respectful. That's good to know. Of what people would would argue. I like to hear that. Respect is a go for me. Now, uh, we, we've alluded to it a little bit, and you don't have to say any names, but like, was <laughs> there ever a time when someone brought up a name and it left you scratching your head? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well... Scratching my head. I mean, generally, I'd have stronger reactions than that. But, (laughs) you know, sometimes I would just think like, how, why are we talking about this artist when this the line is so long white guy for... band from the 60s when we have some first tier soul artists to induct right. and some people just had um i mean and god love it right like they had hobby horses where 
you were mm-hmm. like, man, clearly you've been nominating this person for 15 years and it's just not yeah. breaking through. But then sometimes people break through, as you guys know, and mm-hmm. Joe, you're a student of this, but like all of a sudden Linda Ronstadt breaks through, right? All of a sudden, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that anybody would have ever mocked the idea of Bill Withers, but I'm sure there were years where people would have just kind of rolled their eyes at Linda Ronstadt because maybe she was not considered rock enough. So I do think there's a timing thing sometimes. Yeah. And there's also like uh, from the outside perspective, someone getting in on the ballot on their first time that someone brought them up versus there being a decade of someone trying to get them on the ballot. We have Mm -hmm. no idea what those, what those names are. I mean, I have to say that one of the hard things was really weighing in your mind. Do I want to nominate this artist who I think is super worthy or do I want to nominate and you talk about this a lot about your ballot, or do I want to nominate somebody who I think can get in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? Are we going to put up the Jay Giles band again? <laughs> Is it time? Is it time? Do you think that this would be the year? <laughs> you know, my version of that was, was Rufus and Chaka Khan. I mean, no, like, I live. I, I live that was, that. I, that was another one where <laughs> I nominated, I must've nominated Chaka Khan. I don't know. Or I seconded a nomination mm-hmm. um, because the way it would, go is if somebody else had nominated before it got to you, you could say, okay, cool. They're nominated. I'm good. Or you could use one of your three to kind of underscore that one. Wow. Double down on that. That's cool. It didn't matter. It didn't give it extra weight in a vote or anything, but it was an opportunity to just say like, especially, you know, there's a lot of people in the room. So sometimes you think like, man, we nominated Chaka Khan like 50 minutes ago. Let's make sure, like, Let's I, make sometimes sure we I would remember use that. mine that yeah. way. Yeah. But like, a we reminder. kept trying, we kept trying. And then some years you just think, I'm not going to do this this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to wonder, I mean, and well, I know that we've gotten into this and we're talking, it just feels like Shaka's getting in. If they LL'd him in this side category this year, at a certain point, you just put her in as musical, put them in as musical excellence, or just because this feels like the way that the committee is just like, all right, we tried. And now we're bypassing the process and we're saying this is good it deserves it's worthy and we can't move forward like i mean that's like the ll argument i think it's pretty clear what happened with that and i'm like you know yeah how are you going to be putting in whitney houston and like they're we're going to move forward on like female soul vocalists right i mean we had that we had mary J on the ballot this year and you know Mariah's eligible and is going to be on a ballot soon. It's almost like, well, we got to get Shaka in before we are considering Beyonce. Yeah. And then it gets extremely ridiculous. Especially, I mean, I think, and I talked about this a lot during the voting process, I think especially with someone like Mary J, it is a direct line. Mm -hmm. It is the straight road from Shaka's house to Mary's, you know, like (laughs) they are neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's versions of that in the whole history of the Rock Hall, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, if you don't get a certain thing right at a certain time, the problem compounds itself. Mm -hmm. And it kind of connects to the Sidemen musical excellence category in a way, because if they would commit to doing these kind of side categories always, Uh and it's just always a part of the deal, then you could do some work in catching up, but they've been 
kind of erratic. There's no early influences for years. And, and then, you know, you miss things. And I think, you know, what I'm heartened by this year is if this means that they're going to use these categories all the time, mm-hmm. as opposed to just to deal with certain cases, I think that would be great. And maybe there's a version, it's like some version of the baseball old timers ballot where mm-hmm. the, the committee decides like, look, we really think this person needs to go in. But I think if you just do these categories for a while and then bail on them, you know, the the, the problem just compounds itself. Yeah, it's not going to get better if you ignore it, especially with something like this, where there is just such a big back catalog of people. Do we know this? Is this a thing that I've forgotten that we've learned? But is there a subcommittee? Are there consistent subcommittees every year where they talk about early influence or they talk about musical excellence? In my experience, it wasn't regular. That may not be true now. Were you ever on a subcommittee? I was. Early influence, potentially? It, it was early influence. I think it was the, sub, the year that ended up inducting Cosimo Matassa, the amazing okay. recording engineer from New Orleans. We Musical just talked excellence. about that. So he, so weirdly, Cosmo he Matassa. Was somebody I, I pushed for very hard. Tom Dowd and Glenn Johns were inducted as, you know, the rock engineers again, recording engineers, but strangely they were put into this musical excellence category, whereas traditionally someone in that role would be as a non-performer. Non-performer. We were scratching our heads. Because we went through the history of this category and they stick out because everyone else is a musician. Right. And see, there's the thing. Take all these side categories and think about what is it we want to do? What Mm -hmm. is it we're trying to accomplish? And if there was more regularity in that, I think there's a lot of lot more people you could recognize along the way. And I, I get it that in the early days, I mean, who knew what this was going to be, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that, oh, we need something for producers or, oh, we need something for people who don't ever get their name on a record. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody was thinking about that in 1986, right? No, I so, mean, mm-hmm. this category didn't uh, appear, you know, appeared as Sideman initially in the year 2000. Yes, very interestingly, the year after the E Street Band did not get inducted. <laughs> <laughs> Curious, yeah. Although, you know, I tried to make this case last week, but I think the issue with that is that the E Street Band were never... They played on the album, but they were not credited. You know, sure. I, but do you? You've been doing this podcast a long time. Do you really <laughs> think people don't get in on technicalities? Yeah, of, no, Joe's out here trying to reverse engineer a reason for a lot of well, stuff. Well, here's look. My reason is Bruce Springsteen wanted to go in as a solo act. Mm-hmm. He signed as a solo act. He sees himself as a solo act, and I think he went in exactly the way he wanted it to. I think. The band's absolute important. I know you just love this conversation, Kristen, because you just love the whole Bruce Springsteen That's world. one of my favorite. That was one of my <laughs> best <know>. inductions. Um, <laughs> I think their importance to his work, like in some ways you can't imagine him without them, pushed this argument. And it, mm-hmm. so, I, I, again, I wasn't there then, but it's no surprise to me that it turns out in 2000, we start inducting Sidemen because people have talked now publicly about what that means in this context. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that reminds me that in the program for that year, there were, you know, there were two drummers that first year and it was uh, Earl Palmer and Hal Blaine. And who wrote the essays for those drummers? Max, Max Weinberg. Weinberg. Yeah. And in 2009, which was in Cleveland, Max Weinberg and Gary Talent from the E Street Band inducted Bill Black and uh, DJ Fontana. Yep. 
from Elvis's band. That's true. Yeah. So there's a there's wow, a strong it's connection. It's <laughs> like it's an insider's game. It's almost like that. It just feels that way. Yeah. Just to me, from as an observer, it just seems that way. You and know? I know we're not talking about the sidemen category here, and but you I mean, know, we are to some extent. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, Billy it's, Preston is that. It's, it's sidemen timber. Um, yeah. Oh right. <laughs> it's but, it's, it's it some timber excellence. So of course the, the that's what the category once was. So it's all fair game. Had that category remained as such, it still could be used this way in musical excellence, like background singers, mm. especially mm -hmm. female, like Mary Clayton. Yeah. Problem when you call it Sidemen. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, little somebody like Mary Clayton, now Darlene Love ended up going in straight up as a yeah. performer, but she was on so many records. But, you know, the way that certain, especially female backup singers have played such an important role, but it's never been used in that way. But it could be. I think it could be. Yeah. You know, I think this year we were seeing a return to what the category once was. You know, it, when it became musical excellence, mm -hmm. it morphed into Ringo and Leon Russell and yeah, Rogers. Nile Rogers kind of. It feels like the Nile Rogers category. That feels yeah. like what I what I feel like when I hear it now. It's like you, yeah, yeah, someone you who's dipping in all of the puns, but is still famous. And it felt <laughs> yes. like that yes. they had pivoted away from the Hal Blaine's into okay, who's famous and also does a lot of different things. But this year we we see you know Randy Rhodes is a sideman. Through and through, he was Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player. And then Billy Preston, I think, is perfect for this category, especially if you were expanding it to someone who was a yeah. session musician, but then also had a solo career and then wrote stuff and did a lot of things where the solo career isn't enough to complete the picture. And then there's LL Cool J, and I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> LL Cool J is, this is opening the door for Shaka. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's two, there's kind of two categories, right? There's what used to be Sidemen, we'd need to find another name for it, that mm -hmm. recognizes the people that are so crucial, but their names aren't on the records. Spooner Oldham, Earl Palmer, for God's sake, who kind of invents the backbeat for rock and roll. Those people should be recognized. Absolutely. But that's different than Nile Rodgers, who maybe you you say musical excellence overall, and, and it's our category that we just have to get these people in. But think about it, make some rules, make a decision, tell everybody. Rules? No, keep it shadowy, <laughs> keep it shadowy, make one single rule, and then that's it. That's it's, the only thing. You know, it's kind of genius, right? There's, it really look, there's is. There's only one rule here. There's it's, one rule and everything else, you're just going to have to guess. It's been interesting to see also how the hall officially defines these categories, especially after this year, because <laughs> they had to change the wording because early influence used to mean pre-rock era. Now you can't say that. So now they, the wording of this stuff now is like, they made an influence on youth culture. <laughs> and then, you know, and I think the same thing with the with this musical excellence. Did They're, they change the name of early influence? Is it still, no, it's still it's called still early? early? It still has the name. It's just the way they define it officially on the website or probably when you go to the museum is different now because they've had to expand it. I think there's there's probably a more elegant way to do this, but the way they've chosen to do it in my opinion, is, is kind of clunky. I mean, what would be fun and useful is if they would actually say 
look, we define this category in the 80s because in the 80s, we were 25 to 30 years out from the beginning of this thing. Mm -hmm. And it made sense. And now that we're another whatever, 40 years forward almost, we see the beginnings of these other genres. And so we want to expand the category. It's sort of like, just say it. <laughs> yeah, right. Just say Instead it. It's not like a it's not like a fail. It's an yeah. evolution, right? No, keep it in shadow. <laughs> and I mean, what also what is stopping the hall from just making a new category? Right. But if we if we think about the musical excellence category as something that is meant to encapsulate artists that cannot be defined with just one solo outing or one mm-hmm. phase of their career. I do think Shaka is not the the worst inclusion in this category. It's certainly not as mm-hmm. egregious as LL Cool J because obviously one of the issues I think with Shaka's induction often is, is it going to be Rufus? Is it going to be yes. her solo? And you want to have both. And this category kind of exists for that reason. Now, if they were to put her in though, would they just put her in? They wouldn't Probably. Rufus wouldn't go in. I can't Probably. see I can't Probably see them not. inducting Rufus as musical excellence. I think you're right. But yeah, I, I yeah, I think so. That would make the most sense because she's the one that pivots. Yeah. Right. Not not Rufus. So I, I don't know. But also they can do whatever they want. They really can. They this put Quincy the Jones in as a non-performer, a thing that I am still right. cannot, I live to be shocked by. Hey, one other one other band I want to mention, when you mentioned Rufus, my brain just went there, that I nominated at least one time, maybe more, was War. Mm. Ooh, there's and a they, lot of They've been good, on the ballot like, a few times, but- These kind of crossover funk rock bands. There is a lot of- And you know, we we brought, it was brought up briefly- last week but we talked about how there's no real representation in this category when it was a side man category or now of the people who played with james brown the jbs i know have been on the ballot before but this is like this is a great yeah, i'm like you, the jbs are never going to get in alone you've got to right. scoot them in but man just but they're, they, they would make sense here but you know we did do god's work when we got some of the original famous flames in and the mm-hmm. comets and crickets and miracles. Yeah, that was, yeah, that redux was very, that was the, a magic the retcon, the retcon year. <laughs> right, yeah I, yeah, I agree. That's, and you know, there's probably still work to do with that. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, whether it's the whalers or the mothers of invention or the the Belmonts, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of Scoot people them on the outside in, looking baby. in. Let's do another one. I mean, if they did it one time before, they do it again. They get everybody yeah. up on the stage. They're all together all at it once. It meant so much to that group of people. I got to tell you, it was amazing. I mean, see. you could tell when you were watching it in the ceremony, it was very sweet. You know, do it like a mass wedding, you know, <laughs> right. all at once. Citizenship ceremony. Yeah, exactly. Let's Citizenship. All... <laughs> it's a baptism. It's a whatever. Yeah, Everybody this is turning into in, baby. this is turning into a cult. Uh, put them all in the same robe, and then yeah, you just put them all in the same robe, exactly. And they oh, all swear gosh. allegiance at the altar of Rolling Stone or whatever is running this place now. MTV, Viacom, HBO. Who cares? iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It's really going to be the iHeartRadio Hall of Fame. Oh my gosh. I mean, years it is that's you're who, right that's john sykes that's where he's coming from you know mm-hmm. the the new chairman that he is an iheart radio guy you know he used to yeah. obviously used to be an mpv guy but that's the current position so here we go yeah. 
Look, before, before we move on to Billy Preston, and I, I don't know if you necessarily recall, Lauren, I think when we left off talking to you, you had not finished your ballot. Right? That's right. That's Do you right. remember where you went oh, gosh. ultimately? I think I you probably had four out of five, but. Yeah, I didn't vote for Dion. Sorry. You're why she didn't get in. That's it. That <laughs> was that was our oh, I can't believe um, it. Gosh, I'm sorry to say it. Now I don't even remember. You, might, you know what? You, did you end up going for LL? I voted for the Go-Go's. I voted for Tina. I voted for Carol King. You probably voted for Shaka. I did and LL. Mm-hmm. And it isn't it a little frustrating knowing that your LL vote w- was wasted? Unless. <laughs> no, because if he was close, they would have just put him in as numbers. Yeah, they would have just maybe not. It just, just maybe you know, there was that's... enough support that you know they were like we. There have was to enough support that they couldn't give him full support. <laughs> I guess I'm just saying, like you know, if he was like, how many are getting in this year? Six. Yeah, well, six, like, regular and, six regular and six regular. Yeah, then exactly. Whereas we've got we've died. got about eighteen to twenty-five, but like. You know, if he was going to be number seven, they would have scooped him in Janet Jackson I think so. style. Right. Like it would have happened because especially because they clearly want him in. He had right. to be like number eight or nine and they would have been like, "Uh oh, we got to give, mm. you know, yeah. the, we got to get seven and eight in there, too. Devo's looking yeah. pretty good that time. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I just <laughs> think that's what's kind of frustrating about this is if they are going to just shoehorn an artist in any way, people who are filling out their ballots shouldn't have the opportunity to then waste a yeah. vote on someone who's mm-hmm. just going to get in anyway. That's interesting. You know, you might think about a system where you you name, at least to the, the voters, you name the other subcategories first before people are voting mm-hmm. um, or you or you take the ballot that's created in the room and you say okay let's look at this ballot like maybe a smaller group looks at the ballot and says is there anybody on this ballot that we think really belongs in another category move them off the ballot and yeah. you know you know me i'm like go out there with a shorter ballot yeah. yes and you know I, me I like i'm like just put them all in <laughs> Shorter ballot and 100% gets in. Yes, exactly. Everybody votes and Everybody we just know who did better and everybody gets an A, everybody gets in. It's good. But we did watch everyone try, you know, and that's right. nice. Um, I don't know. Well, let's talk about musical excellence inductee oh this year, Billy Preston. But first, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with some Billy Preston. Welcome back, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break. You uh, had a little show and tell of one of your favorite treasures. Yes. Uh, okay. So let's talk about Mr. Billy Preston. Billy Preston has never been on a ballot before, but he has been eligible for a very long time. I think it's very likely that he was never on a ballot because of his interesting position in rock and roll history and in recording history you know he is not just a solo performer he is all sorts of things but let's uh we're not going to do the categories because of that reason i don't think it would really get to the heart of of what he's about but we can kind of just go through his life and career we can also start lauren you know when i had talked to you we were just kind of via email talking about the rock hall and you mentioned that if we were looking for somebody to talk about billy preston you offered your services mm-hmm. and i would i would love to know why why is is billy preston a meaningful artist to you first i want to say i'm thrilled that he's going in 
And when he showed up, I was like, well, of course, right? Like, why hasn't this one happened before? Especially because he's so beloved by fans of the great white 60s bands. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Titans, the Beatles and Rolling Stones, Mm -hmm. they both know who Billy Preston is. He's all over the Let It Be album. He's on like five major Stones albums and tours with the Stones. So it's actually interesting that he hasn't come up before. And, you know, he's got such a great catalog as both kind of a sideman, but also a solo catalog. And I think his story opens up really interesting topics around like rock and roll and gospel, particularly, and how it's been framed. So I was, first of all, really excited. I mean, I got to know Billy Preston's music two ways. One, I was a major Beatle fan. I was born in 1963. So I was kind of aware of the Beatles in the late 60s. I had older sibs. But like, as soon as you become a Beatle fan, like he's there on the rooftop, their rooftop the in January of 69, the, t- yeah. the last time they play together. He's on their last two albums, Abbey Road and Let It Be. You know, he famously brings a good vibe into the band in a period of struggle of tension um, between them. Then, yeah. You know, so I knew him as like, Oh, like why is Billy Preston's name on a Beatle record? This is weird. And, and those sounds is just fabulous. And then when I was a kid, space race. And nothing from nothing were huge AM radio hits that mm-hmm. I loved. I had them on 45. But he kind of disappears as a hit maker and really in many ways his career, it fades, but his story lasts, I think, largely because of the Beatles. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's always been somebody I just had a good, I guess, guess a good feeling about. And then as I got deeper into the history myself, like, oh my God, you know, the guy is apparently a prodigy Mm -hmm. uh, on piano and organ. He is playing with James Cleveland, the brilliant gospel organ player, keyboard player, as a very young kid. And you can actually hear recordings of that, him on the Hammond B3. Oh, it can be that day. It doesn't matter. All late at night. He's on the Nat King Cole show when he's 10. Which wow. is exceptional. And, and you it know, does Blueberry Hill. I, I want to talk about that. And we can kind of we can kind of start there as we kind of go through his life. But this is footage that you can find on YouTube. Yes. And it is so great. He is literally 11 years old, sitting at a piano with Nat King Cole. And they are both playing and singing Blueberry Hill. And it isn't cute that like a little boy is trying. He is fully keeping up with Nat King Cole. And they do this fun little like do-si-do where one of them will scoot the other one off the piano. That one will start singing and then walk around the bench, (gasps) sit down again, and then they will take over on keys and then scoot the other one out who will pick up the vocals. And then they do that. And it's just, it's 
cute, but then also you're like, at no point is it's not apparent who's playing the piano. It's not like oh, just the kids playing. Yeah, right. Yeah, he was I like mean, a true prodigy. Yeah, and it's a similar thing when you hear him on these James Cleveland records from the early '60s, where he might just be slightly older. And again, you don't get the visual, but you hear this incredible Hammond B3 playing. And there, he also plays, he's with Nat King Cole in a film, the story of W.C. Handy. And he plays the young W.C. Handy at the beginning of the film. And it's this really evocative uh, scene because it, and I think it resonates later in his life where his father is a preacher and doesn't want him to play music. And he saves his penny and he buys a trumpet. And his father and his father is furious at this and sees that as the devil's work and huh? throws the little, it may not even be a trumpet. It's like that short horn that you often see in the early 20th century mili- like military like a bands. Coronet. Something like that. And these horses, like a, a horse-drawn carriage, you know, tramples the, the <laughs> horn. And Billy Preston like falls to the ground, just weeping. When I think about later, just kind of some of his struggles with his homosexuality and what he felt like he could say out loud and with the church, like that scene feels really poignant. Mm -hmm. But here's somebody who's playing in Hollywood, playing in California with absolute gospel royalty. And then in 1963, Sam Cooke signs him and he's on Nightbeat one of the best Sam Cooke albums ever, pretty stripped down, very kind of bluesy. I made a little playlist that I could share with you guys and maybe you put it in the comments or something. Yes, oh yeah, we will definitely please. do that. Nightbeat, love is, that. Nightbeat is absolutely an amazing, an amazing record. I mean, a lot of rock people would know Little Red Rooster. They do a version there that has big, long organ solos. Just every song on that record is great. And to hear Sam Cooke in dialogue with Billy Preston's organ mm-hmm. is just amazing. But Sam Cooke signs him to SAR, you know, because Sam Cooke did so much smart work in terms of building a business model for Black artists, you know, a label backing musicians to, you know, he was so smart about the whole system of music. And mm-hmm. then Billy Preston records several instrumental, mostly instrumental organ albums. And they have these great titles, right? Like the greatest organ player ever. <laughs> um, and they're fun. They're all now on streaming services. I think they were super rare for a long time. But I don't think too much of that really kind of cuts through. There's something called Billy's Bag that ends up being a lot of the British musicians seems to seem to know that song. But he ends up on Shindig, the great. 60s rock show rock and soul artist he's in the house band on shindig and he also dances on shindig also available yes. on YouTube, right <laughs> like he's got james brown moves but it's also like holy ghost dancing that he's putting mm-hmm. in kind of mainstream tv and you see him do that later in the concert for bangladesh with george harrison in 1971 he moves out to the front of the stage and just does this great dancing so I don't know, but you wonder at that time, It's is it like he's trying to figure out what's going to be the direction? Am I a 
backing guy? Am I going to be a front man? Am I going to be mm-hmm. a singer? You know, what is it going to be? And ends up on the road with Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. Who he idolized. Idolized and can imitate. Better than anybody. And they, they say when he was a kid, he would tape his eyes shut just to like get into the mind of Ray Charles. Isn't and like would, would try to play like that. Maybe even like try to walk around like that because he, he loved Ray Charles so much. And wow. uh, there's footage of on YouTube of Ray Charles live in Europe in 68 in Paris, where you can see Billy Preston playing with him. That's really amazing. And then there's also, again, you see him dancing with Ray Charles. It's Agent 00 Soul, but I can't remember that. That's the song. Yes. But I can't remember the show, right? But he's also showing off his moves. So just a major talent, but you know, his roots are in gospel. Mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. playing is in gospel. And as a songwriter and as a solo artist, like he never, I mean, that's, and he mixes kind of soul and rock and gospel really comfortably in, in his own work. And I think never really walks away from gospel and his high watermark, I think in the early seventies in the rock world is very much when there's a lot of rock bands that are interested in a, this bigger, more kind of soul and gospel influence, you know, horns mm-hmm. and singers and all that. So at, at this point, you know, he's, he's playing with Ray Charles and like famously he's playing with little Richard. Uh, yeah, and yeah. that's actually when that's he even first, earlier. yeah. And that's when he first meets the Beatles. The, the Beatles were supporting little Richard, I, I believe. And they, they made a connection early on before he, he got involved, but you know, they, you know, people liked, Billy Preston, he was a a presence that was welcome. And when he was on tour with Little Richard, the supporting acts were not treated as well. And there are stories of Billy Preston being part of the main group, Little Richard's group, ordering extra food and then giving it, sliding it to the supporting act. And I believe he did that with the Beatles, you know, and so that's kind of the genesis of their relationship. I also just live for a world in which we have a queer black main act and then like a like a white hetero male supporting band and and the queer black act is being treated better. That's like a very interesting time. I don't think it was a long period in time. I'm sure that the Beatles exploded soon after, but just like an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. And it's an interesting moment in Little Richard's career because he kind of leaves rock and roll to do religious music, but that's right at the moment he kind of switches back or he's switching back and forth. And it's hard to know exactly. I mean, the record is a little fuzzy about, I've read Billy Preston saying, you know, I thought I was going on a a tour to do gospel. And then we got to Europe and the fans really wanted Little Richard to play rock and roll. And he did, and it was confusing, but you know, that's a moment where, I didn't Richard know that Little Richard ever left rock and roll. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Like what, 59? Like an early, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. before it really like blew up, he was, you know, he committed himself to God. At his peak, he had been massive. He had been yeah. massively popular. It doesn't hold, but he makes some. Yeah, I'm like, I, okay, yeah. <laughs> just making sure that my that my memory of of him as a yeah. cultural icon is correct. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. But I think Billy Preston again. He's with these artists who are sitting between those worlds. Mm-hmm. Little Richard in a, in one way, Sam Cooke in another. Mm-hmm. And Sam Cooke came up in gospel, was a star yeah. with the Soulsters, and then turns to pop. So he. He's got real gospel bona fides, um, Mm -hmm. which is partly why I think rock and roll doesn't get him in a way. 
and the mm-hmm. rock call doesn't get him in a way because i don't think they've quite known what to do with gospel beyond a few inductees that's true so yeah he's making records as a as a teen uh and he's also backing up a lot of major artists and you know that takes us to his reconnection with the beatles with what were the get back sessions which eventually became the let it be album and he's very prominent on the song get back specifically as a single it's the Beatles with Billy Preston is the yeah. official artist that that song is credited to which had never happened with the Beatles ever it's not entirely clear to me how it happens I mean there's actually audio of these sessions and you know there's a big documentary coming this fall of the Beatles get back let it be sessions that Peter Jackson is doing it's going to be six oh, hours wow. of tape and if you've seen it watch the preview of it because you can see Billy Preston walk in the room and they're all like, yes, they're all immediately mm-hmm. like happy and, and in a good place. So I think there'll be a lot of Billy Preston in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's actually audio of George Harrison talking about, and I don't know whether he has seen Ray Charles in concert in London. I think it might instead be that he's seen Ray Charles like in a TV, there was a Ray Charles TV special or something, Mm -hmm. but he's talking to the other Beatles about like, I saw Billy and he dances and all this stuff. And and George Harrison is the one who who invites him in the group. And those, you know, that Let It Be record doesn't come out until the spring of 1970, but it's recorded in January of 69. And there's basically a period between like January and, and September 69, where Billy Preston is working with them on both records that become Let It Be and Abby Road. But he also, at that time, George Harrison signs him to Apple Records, mm-hmm. which the mm-hmm. Beatles had started in 1968. Cool idea, but like they weren't business people. Um, <laughs> but he makes two terrific solo albums. He also is involved in a solo album by Doris Troy, who did Just One Look in the girl group era. He's on so many of those English guys kind of sessions and records at that time. But those two solo albums are wonderful. And he actually releases um, My Sweet Lord before George Harrison does as a solo artist. Both those records are... That's the way God planned it. And um, encouraging words, encouraging words. I was going to say everlasting words. They're both now widely available on streaming services. They wouldn't have been for a long time. And they're strong. But he's clearly you've said this, Joe. I mean, I think he's somebody who people like to be in sessions with, but it had to be way more than that. Like, I just think there's audio out there now. And it was released on the Beatles Abbey Road box set of him working with John Lennon on the song. I want you. She's so heavy, which ends up on Abbey Road in the very early takes of that. And you just, you get the feeling like, here's a player who just knows what this song can be. Mm-hmm. And it's like him filling in behind John Lennon and bringing this song alive. Mm-hmm. 
clearly so knew what he was doing as a player and was such a sympathetic player that, I mean, I think he makes that whole era for the Beatles. And, and I think some other British rock more broadly, the Stones particularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not just like a good time guy who everyone likes That's to have right. around. You know, he's not it's the- like That uh, combined with musical yeah. genius, it's like, okay, let's be around this person when we're recording yeah. all the time because he, he brings both. Yeah, right. he's it, not like the hype man weed roller or whatever in, in the <laughs> right, studio. Right. Like he's adding and elevating the songs as well. And so then his his solo career starts to take off post Beatles, you know, and he's still playing with the Beatles when they're doing their solo albums, specifically George Harrison. But he's on, you know, wow. uh, some John Lennon stuff and some Ringo stuff. I know he was pretty conflicted to be playing on uh, such an openly atheist song, God, by John Lennon, because he was still still very religious. Dream is over. What can I say? But that song, when you hear John Lennon's God with Billy Preston on piano, it's a gospel piano part, which works so mm-hmm. brilliantly. Yeah. As a interplay, I think, with the lyrics. It's one of his great moments, I think. The All Things Must Pass album by George Harrison, which just has been treated to one of these giant box sets, he's all over that. Um, and when these remixes come out, as you know, they can be really nerdy. But the cool thing is that they do bring out players like him. You can really hear those parts. Can I mention another Billy Preston record from 71 where he's kind of a side man? So if I could, if I could time travel to a show, like I have a short list of shows or era, like a club I would have loved to have been in. Aretha Franklin, King Curtis. Wow. With Billy Preston in the band amongst others and Ray Charles as a guest star at the Fillmore West in 1971. It came out, both Aretha Franklin and King Curtis released albums from this show. And then it became a box set with both sets. It blows your head off. It's so good. She is at her apex. She's got just the right band with her. And it's this really interesting, and I think this is kind of the nature of the work Billy was trying to do. You're really hearing this kind of rock and soul and gospel mix parted again but and she's doing like bridge over trouble water and love the one you're with and you've got a friend and some of her own songs and gospel songs but he's all over that record it's an amazing album there's actually video of that grainy black and white video. Looks like it was maybe officially shot by the venue. Mm-hmm. And mm. you've seen Aretha on organ sitting down and Billy Preston's behind her. And she starts on the electric piano, getting the song ready. And he just starts calling, responsing with her on the Hammond. And she really is enjoying it. You could tell, and they're going back and forth. It's just like the hair on your whole body will just 
it'd be like you put your finger in a light socket. That is, I think that's one of his greatest recorded performances. That sounds incredible. That's a lot of talent in one room. And then Ray Charles comes in on the encore. People want to just faint. And love the one you're with, (laughs) allegedly, is just the title in the hook. I mean, that's just something apparently Billy Preston said out loud. Yeah, I've seen that in a couple places too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's another another little uh, thing on the wall for the the Billy Preston impact and influence. So when we get to like 72, this is where we start to get to the years where he's having big hits as a, as a solo artist, you know, he's got out of space, which goes to number two in 1972. He kind of continues with the space theme. Uh, 73, we've got Space Race, which goes to number four. Dick Clark liked Space Race so much that he used it for like the going to commercial music for the, the rest of the American Bandstand run. David Gates is our special guest in the next half hour of American Bandstand when we'll return with the whole gang right here on the ABC Television Network. It also is super close, and I can't remember what the story is here. To the, there was a '70s cop show called Mannix. Rockford Files. So the theme song to Rockford Files sounds a lot like Space Race, even though it's technically a different song. You got to imagine it was inspired by it. And then we get the two big Billy Preston songs that you hear walking around CVS. The first one was in 73. It's Will It Go Round in Circles. Will it go round in circles? Will it fly high like a bird up in the sky? Which is an excellent song. And then the big one, the one that's Mm -hmm. in like a million movie trailers. Trailers, yeah. Is one of just the, I think... One of the best songs ever written and recorded, Nothing From Nothing. Fantastic song. Yeah, Fantastic. and that's from 1974, and they, they both, both those songs went to number one. Uh, and so he was really kind of firing on all cylinders. Lauren's got the album at her, right, at her right hand. <laughs> at the right hand of Lauren, we've got the album. But he's still playing with people, too while yeah. he's having this tremendous success. And this is around the time when he hooks up with the Rolling Stones and plays on a lot of their huge albums, Sticky Fingers, XL and Main Street. And he's he's touring with them as well. He's on five studio albums from Sticky Fingers to Black and Blue in 1976. Um, and also on their live album, Love You Live. And he tours with them in 75. Also really interesting footage. You know, if you're a rock fan, you know the way that the James Brown kind of blows the stones off the stage on the Tammy show mm-hmm. in the 60s. When you see Billy Preston, he gets a little solo spot in that stone set in 75. And there's YouTube footage of it in LA at the forum. And he again comes to the front of the stage and starts dancing. And you're thinking... What's Mick Jagger thinking? What's Mick Jagger <laughs> yeah. thinking? Like, 
I'm going to just sit back here for a second. So, yeah, he was really key to that stone sound. I mean, there's so many Exile on Main Street fanatics out there, but Shine a Light from Exile on Main Street, is that's his organ playing. It's a weird record from 76 that has the most misogynist album advertisement ever in the history of rock music, I think, where a woman is sitting on the album cover. She is scantily clad and bruised and tied up. Oh, Um, fun. Yeah. Um, It's kind of a transitional record for them. And Billy is all over that record as a vocalist, as a piano player, as an organ player. I think there may have been some conflict over the credit to the song Melody. And after that, he doesn't play with the Stones again. I don't, I don't know that story deeply, but it's not credited to him at all. But he and Jagger are singing it together and there might have been a writing issue there. And mm. I think one of the other Stones recorded that song on a solo record and may have credited Billy Preston. It might be Bill Wyman on one of those big band records. So, you know, I think if you saw the Stones in 1975, which was a huge tour, Billy Preston would have not just been a backup player, right? But very much a kind of part of the show. Fully encompassing the concept of musical excellence as we have chosen to define it. Being a star in your own right, elevating the music of others, writing songs, contributing in many different ways to music and its excellence. Um, (laughs) Yes. Yeah. This is such a write-on category for him. It just fully makes sense. And I... And a long time coming. How do you, I mean, as we think about this, like he was basically in the Beatles and he was basically in the Stones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's really remarkable. And I hope his induction leads to a kind of resurgence in in Billy Preston appreciation because no one talks about that. That's not a thing that really comes up that often. And that's a unique thing. And that's a really kind of insane thing too. And John Lennon, who was sort of famously, if he got excited about something, he just wanted to do that thing right then, Mm -hmm. was like, well, we should just have him in the band. Yeah. After just a few days. So, you know, imagine had that happened, you know, what that might've led to. Is that what what Imagine is about? Oh, right. You (laughs) have have this cut from the final version. (laughs) You know, part of this is the way I see the stones, but there is always something... I really appreciated the way that the Stones, they had Stevie Wonder on tour with them in 72. You know, they very much cast the light on the Black artists that influenced them. But there also is a way in which Billy Preston gets a bit used and he's there as a kind of symbol of their mm. coolness or their mm-hmm. hipness. And, you know, I was juxtaposing looking at him playing with the Stones with uh, Billy Preston. His band at the time was called The God Squad. And in 1973, on a lot of those solo records, 
which included the Brothers Johnson, who go oh. on to do their first solo album in 1976, amazing musicians. But there was a show on public TV called Soul, with a big exclamation point. There's an incredible documentary about this. And it was not only Black musicians, but Black poets, political activists. It was essentially like a Black arts TV show on public TV. And the music is amazing. And Billy Preston is on with the God Squad in 1973. And I would say, and it's like a 50-minute performance. If people have no idea who Billy Preston is, watch that. Because he plays this music that's very much kind of the rock-funk hybrid. He also plays straight-up gospel. He's using that organ. I mean, if we think about musical excellence, as an organ player, he was so creative. He played that thing so physically mm-hmm. and did crazy things that you'd almost associate with prog rock sometimes. But I think for him, so oh, many of those Laura, things came out. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but, but for him, so many of those things came out of the church, right? Mm-hmm. And you see an audience on the Soul Show that's not seeing him as a symbol but they might be just more conversant in a lot of the musical traditions he's drawing on. So there's always something a little uh, to me about him and him with the stones, but that's my thing with the stones. Like, well, uh, you, you know, know I, I mean? was saying this earlier too. It's like, I do think that there was just a lot of in the late sixties, early seventies with a lot of these British bands with these white British acts who were just like blatantly, it was like, they were such huge fans. They couldn't help, but, steal appropriate yeah Mm -hmm. exactly and so it's like this thing where i I don't think we had maybe the language to talk about it at that point i think especially black people knew what was going on but you know it's just like another layer we started with like kind of the elvis thing and it just that's the next generation of that happening you know it just can feel like yeah he was being brought in to lift them up legitimize them in certain ways give them some funk and some groove and some soul or whatever that can just feel i think especially in our current with our lens our 2021 on we can be like i don't love that as you know they can just feel that like you can just feel a little icky. I was reading some of the coverage of him in the rock press from the early 70s in both Britain and America. And it's interesting that some reviewers of his shows or him with the Stones at a certain point, they're like, well, but enough with this. Let's come together with the Lord stuff. Like he got a little, and I'm just thinking like, that's like saying you don't want to hear Billy Preston. I mean, that's that's kind of who mm-hmm. he was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, rock it was like, oh, oh, they're singing too much about God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was this sense of like, well, we like the rhythms of gospel, but we really don't want to hear that. And some of that coverage is kind of stunning, you know, but it's like, he's our happy soul brother. Yeah. So there's, there's some of the stone stuff that I think, but I think, you know, the playing is great. I mean, he played the clavinet, uh, which is so rhythmic and you hear it on the opening of Heartbreaker. Just the the rhythmic power of his keyboards are the kind of through line that you hear there. But you're right, Joe, that's kind of the nothing from nothing. Really, that's kind of the the peak of his own solo Mm -hmm. hits. Right. You know, and he writes and records, You Are So Beautiful. You are so beautiful.
which isn't a hit for him, but is obviously a massive hit for Joe Cocker. You are so beautiful. To me, can't you see? He wrote "You Are So Beautiful." Yes. See, again, this is this is musical excellence. We yes. are talking about all. He's just nailing it Every in category. all of the things. Like yes. this is such a yes for me. I'm very excited to know. I have a lot of tabs open on my computer right now. <laughs> yeah, things good. to go back to. Yeah. I'm very excited about this. And you know, so we, cool. we talked about his performance on Soul. An- another little factoid when we talk about Billy Preston's TV appearances is he gives the first musical performance on saturday night live yes nothing from nothing and mm-hmm. it's fabulous it's, you know you got don pardo going ladies and gentlemen billy preston <laughs> and now billy preston with nothing from nothing And then he plays nothing for nothing. And at that point, you know, there's other music. Like Janice Ian is also on that show, but he is oh, the gosh, first yeah. one. He is the first one to play. Wow. Yeah. He had that sound of the early to mid seventies that combined kind of funk and gospel, but he clearly had a, that pop gospel. His music wants to be sung and heard. It's very inviting. I think his mm-hmm. own solo stuff. And it's very celebratory. Mm-hmm. generally is that that sound there's something really positive in feel for his own music he could go deep blues on on his own solos on things and on instrumental music but the music he wrote you know is extremely upbeat and then just the crazy instrumentals which i'm sorry Kristen, are a little proggy <laughs> <laughs> it's okay i'm just like I, I, and don't give me wrong they can't as- be progressive because is he's black right <laughs> exactly so nobody ever got put in that category because that was for white people well, white and people the amount- who liked medieval gnomes and stuff. yeah well the amount of <laughs> of bands that i listened to in the aughts and the teens that identify under the label math rock you know like i I, oh, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm there. I just am like, I want better for Billy. <laughs> yes, I hear you. Um, well, you know, speaking of the kind of uplifting nature of his work, it, it's kind yeah. of curious that the last big hit of his career is a ballad with a woman named Sarita Wright. It's With You, I'm Born Again. And it, it to me, it kind of sticks out in his discography because it has a very different feel to it. It was a massive hit, very kind of late 70s, electric piano driven. And, you know, Sarita Wright had been with Stevie Wonder and sang with Stevie Wonder. But hopefully that song, you know, brought Billy some mailbox money as as long uh, as well as You Are So Beautiful, Mm -hmm. you hope for that. But yeah, you're right, Joe. It wouldn't you wouldn't really hear that on kind of earlier records. I mean, like so many artists, including rock artists, but certainly soul artists like the disco era was not kind to a lot of R&B artists, 
who kind of had to rethink themselves. You know, similarly, the 60s rock people got thrown off by synthesizers and all that. And I think you see that with, I mean, Billy Preston has his own demons around drug problems, but I also think the sound changes, right? Mm -hmm. And then what, what does that sound mean any longer? Right. Yeah. So as we go into the 80s, that's where the the solo career falls off. And it's like you said, for reasons both with what's happening with music and, you know, he's struggling with alcohol and cocaine, but he's he's still doing session work. He does some session work with Luther Vandross, mm-hmm. Patti LaBelle, Whitney Houston. Also, you know, he goes in and out of recording gospel, but he's on the first Donnie McClurkin album, which who's a major gospel star in the 90s. And he plays organ on that record. You can also feel that he's moving kind of, he keeps trying to record gospel. Again, though, to your point, he doesn't have hits. Right. So it's not like he fully stays in that world or has hits there. And, you know, he goes back to a lot of his friends to tour, you know, he tours with Ringo. He tours with Clapton and the band. He almost joins the band which is funny. Uh, (laughs) I mean, why not? Everybody wanted him to be in their band. So why not the band? Yeah. He kind of just continues to tour and play for the rest of his life. And, you know, I don't want to necessarily bring this up, but it's, you know, something that happened, which is that he, he dealt with, he was in and out of prison and he, this, he was, he was a very troubled man. And, you know, the, people close to him attribute that to him trying to reconcile having a religious background and being deeply religious and also being homosexual. And that that really, he struggled with that quite a bit. Yeah, there's a couple of cases of being arrested for sexual assault, I believe, or those charges being of some young men. Yeah, there's, it's a dark dark. story. And it's, I mean, I don't know anything about, I don't know like the specifics of this at all, but just knowing the history of the punishment of, you know, homosexuality, of sodomy being a crime of, you know, it's very hard to parse in some cases too, because just like the act of two men having sex could be considered criminal. I think of how many people could be freed by acceptance, self-acceptance and societal. Like I think of how different the world is now and how many people could be spared so much pain if the Mm -hmm. world had been more accepting. And then, and if, you know, religion had been more accepting and if they could be more accepting of themselves, because it's that self, that struggle and that self-hatred that causes Mm -hmm. pain. And then you put more pain in the world. It's just sad to think about. It's really devastating to fight a part of yourself in that way. After he died, and this is on a BBC radio documentary that's pretty good. Joyce Moore, who's the wife and manager of Sam Moore, of Sam and Dave. They've been together a very long time, but I think she was a manager of Billy's and a friend for a Mm -hmm. long time. She did interviews after he passed, revealing that he had been sexually assaulted as a kid um, (sighs) when he was out on the performing circuit in the gospel world by somebody in a band. And his, the story went that she shared was that um, his mother didn't believe it. And so it continued. That was not something that he talked about in in interviews, but she's a reputable source. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the major source of that 
story, which just adds a whole nother yeah. really tragic. element to this. Yeah. Um, and he, he passed away in 2006, but I would say his last big moment was at the concert for George yes. uh, in 2002, you know, with this all-star lineup. And he had some really great moments since he had done a version of My Sweet Lord. He, he plays that at the, mm-hmm. at the concert and it is really beautiful. And that whole, you know, he's on that whole album. And so a lot of that band is is reassembled. In getting ready to talk with you all, I was listening to one of his last albums. It's a gospel album called Music From My Heart. And there's a organ instrumental. He might sing a little bit on it, but it's primarily instrumental, just organ of the gospel classic, Blessed Assurance. I think that album might be from like 2001. And that I thought was a a really beautiful, one of the last things from him because you hear him as the brilliant organ player that he was, but also hear his faith and his struggle around that um, Mm -hmm. through all of that. But yeah, that last live performance, I think he does My Sweet Lord and Isn't It a Pity, also a George Harrison song from All Things Must Pass. And he just owns the stage, and you can see the love that other musicians have for him. An incredible musician, a producer. A songwriter, songwriter mm-hmm. and a musician, as you all said, that who, when two of the most important bands in the history of rock and roll brought him in, they were elevated on some of the key records of their career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, good job, Rock Hall. Yeah this, uh, is a, yeah, this is a good one. You know, you definitely couldn't have done it while he was still alive, but you did do it. And... <laughs> So I'll always have something to say. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is surprising because he would have been, I think he would have gone in a long time ago, maybe even on the ballot because he would have been known, but who knows? Mm-hmm. He's, he's going would have in been, now. Really would have been teed up right after the concert for George. Could have been perfect, but he's getting in now. The phrase we're looking for is better late than better never. Better late than never. Yes, thank you. Um, so uh, he, he'll be inducted. I, I want to talk about this induction a little bit. Given the sheer number of artists who are being inducted in the side categories, we get the sense that there might not be a ton of time spent mm-hmm. on these side categories. Specifically, I can see the package taking the place of a speech, mm-hmm. like a traditional induction speech. But I could definitely see a tribute performance. I don't see why they wouldn't. You got Carol King there. She comes out on her. <laughs> just like, well, who's I mean, playing the keys? So the, Alicia I mean, Keys will be there. It's not, we can talk about who we think could do a tribute performance. I mean, that's interesting. He had a lot of famous friends. Yeah. Some so famous 
that they might not show up. I'm thinking about the Beatles specifically and this and the Stones, but like the Beatles in particular had a really close connection with him. And then I also think about maybe artists that he collaborated with that we don't want to show up, like say Eric Clapton. Um, <laughs> so I think it, this could go a lot of ways and th- getting in the mindset of the way the Rock Hall books people, I'm like, well, they'll get John Legend. Um, <laughs> that's who they, they tend to go for. Who is fine. He's fine. He's good. He's good. You know what? He plays the piano. That's right. He's a, he'll do a nice job, but I don't think that they would, I don't think they're going to, and no shade John Le- legend. Uh, he's good. I've seen him. He's fine. I like him. He's fine, but I don't think that this might not be the nicest way to say it, but like, I don't think they're going to waste time if it's John legend. Like, I don't think that they're going to be like, let's spend five minutes of this already jam packed evening. Really? I mean, I could see John Legend is like a big name to put on the marquee. He is. No, you know what? Maybe that's just my own bias. Yeah, I I think they would be excited to have him. I mean, you could envision nothing from nothing opening the whole night Mm -hmm. or closing the whole night. Yes. That would be a a song that people would know. The jam Um, could be nothing from nothing. And then I I was thinking the jam could be get back. That seems right. Right. And you do... I just want to see multiple pianos on the stage. I'm yeah. here. I'm envisioning multiple pianos, a piano, an organ, another piano, a guitar. I want them all out there. That get back is a great uh Yeah, jam. get back would be great. John Batiste, maybe. Oh mm. yeah. He's That's so a, yeah. and he's he's so hot right now. Um, and he he's got a little more edge than mm-hmm. John Legend. And good old, I I know I, I mean, sound like such a hater on John Legend. I do not hate no, no, John I know Legend. What you're saying, yeah, <laughs> it's not as exciting of a, a, yeah. of a booking, but like it's like I don't hate Alicia Keys. It's like we've just seen the Rock Hall go to that well many that times. That well has been, oh, yeah. yes, that's you know, on in. that's yes. that's why. But you know, maybe John Legend and John Baptiste get a few Johns in there. Get a few uh, Johns. I mean, you know, it would be great if Ringo or Mick or Keith would induct him. I, I think if, if any of if those did, happen. I think they would definitely make the time for them. But I mean, just with the world being what it is and yes. and our country being considered, I don't know. I don't think you can even come here right now. There's some new new restrictions. I don't know. Does yeah. that well Ringo's in LA and, and oh. the Stones are touring in theory, although That's Charlie Watts has so. passed. But Mick and Keith have not been near an induction in a very long time. That's true. But the, they would be sort of the obvious kind of big stars from that era who could kind of talk about his work. But it's sad when you think of the list, right? Sam Cooke's gone. Ray Charles is gone. Richard. George Harrison's mm-hmm. gone. Little Richard's gone. Mac and Cole, yeah. But there's another reason for music, uh, musical excellence. He's intersecting with these inductees. Yeah, um, exactly. He, he connects, yeah. He's a bridge yeah. to so many. But yeah, I think Get Back or Nothing From Nothing. Nothing From Nothing, man. Just go for Nothing From that Nothing. Song I mean, is that's so good. That's the choice. Like, if they're going to play a Billy Preston song, that is the one they play. It is one of the most infectiously fun and funky songs. Though. And a lot of the people who are getting into, like, it would kind of fit musically yeah. I, I, i'd love to see it i would love to see it it would be great jay-z comes out spits a verse on it <laughs> oh man <laughs> right? trying to figure out how to put everybody on yeah. stage at one time <laughs> carol king her piano yeah. rolls out that pat smear like, do a guitar solo <laughs> yeah i just right? you know it could work it'd be very cool well 
and people people know the song. Yeah. They do. So for people who they don't know who Billy Preston is or mm-hmm. a lot of inductees are, they're like, I know that song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I may not know it's him. Right. But I, I'm hoping for, for something fun and uh, maybe even a little unexpected because there's a lot of different ways this could go and, and maybe they will, maybe they'll surprise us. Who knows? I mean, I just hope they can make it all happen this year with the Delta variant and yeah. all of that. Well, we've got tickets. So. <laughs> we, we, we oh, do, you do? Yeah. We do currently have tickets. We'll be that's right. That's great. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping to be there. So maybe yes. we can see. Oh, that's great. Yes. Wonderful. That would be uh, wonderful. incredible. We'll be up so high where the airflow is good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> be up there with the banners in the breeze uh yes absolutely well that's great lauren i i want to thank you for taking the time to join us for this this was really lovely um and i want to give you the chance to plug anything you want even if it's just billy preston's work or the there's a book about soul i know that you were referring to earlier yes so the soul tv show uh, which was amazing. There's a great book about it by Gail Wald called It's Been Beautiful. And uh, Gail is also the author of a fabulous biography of Sister Rosetta Tharp, who I know you guys have talked a lot about. Mm-hmm. But Ellis Haslip was the host of this extraordinary show. And check out Billy Preston and the God Squad. Take an hour, turn it up. It, the whole episode is available on YouTube. It is. 53 minutes and understand where he was really coming from in putting together such an incredible mix of rock and gospel and soul at a moment in rock history where those things, we had a moment where those things were mm-hmm. really intertwined. So it's a, it's a, you all need this. You all need this hour <laughs> for your soul. Incredible. Music Tim Berkselins, week two in the, in the books. Literally, I was like, what is he saying? In the I books. I was Making like, it, I'm is Joe having you, a Kristen. stroke that word? I was like, oh no, he's speaking nonsense. What happened? Um, well, of course, our listeners know they can follow us at Rock Hall Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Rockhallpod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see your message, you need to designate that somewhere in your email. Otherwise, I'm not going to forward it and she doesn't want to read it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us five stars only, please. I mean, everybody's been pretty good. I shouldn't act like people have been giving us less than five stars. You've all been very, you've been very nice to give us five star reviews and, you know, ratings and all that. That is so helpful to us and our growth. So thank you for that. We love them and we're trying to earn them. Yes. Uh, (laughs) By telling you, you can't be honest, even if you think we're a solid four. (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. Thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares? About the Rock Hall. Excellence. Excellence. Excellence.